You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, what are you doing here? Hello, welcome to this podcast. I don't know why I'm singing. I shouldn't be singing. I have no business singing, but I've really enjoyed singing lately, so I'll probably do it more in the content. Probably not so much on the podcast. I'm kind of sorry if that sucked. Anyhow, here is a very interesting conversation I had with David Brown from Brown Amplification. Now, you've probably seen the protein pedal if you're a, a gear aficionado or a gear nerd or a gear geek or whatever you want to identify as, and you're listening to this podcast, you have probably seen the protein pop up in your Instagram feed or on your TikTok feed or in, uh, you know, any other place that you follow gear on the internet. And so when Brown reached out to have David on the podcast, I, of course, was very interested. And of course, we talked about him and we talked about his story and we talked about how this pedal came to be, you know, sort of a, a widely circulated internet phenomenon. We mostly talked about our lives and the way we approach business and things like that, which I find infinitely more interesting than just the straight nitty gritty gear stuff. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I know I did very, very much. David was a, a, a great guest and his Patreon episode honestly was probably even better. I know I say that all the time and I'm not saying that to try to like, you know, shoehorn people into signing up for something that they don't need. I really do mean it. Like after we've spent an hour or so together, the conversation that flows afterwards tends to be just a naturally more flowing thing. And things come out that maybe wouldn't otherwise have been discussed if it was just the first time you were meeting. So I really, really, really appreciate everybody who supports me over there on Patreon. And I also think you get some really juicy content. So if you want to go do that, it's patreon.com slash tone mob, where for five bucks a month, you can get access to the who knows how many hours of additional content at this point. And if that's not for you and you're not really down with the current ad format, which I do understand, but hey, I got to put food on the table. You can go to patreon.com slash tone mob and check out the ad free tier, which is just three bucks a month. So there will be no ads in your episodes for that. But for five bucks a month, you get both the bonus content and the ad free episode. So go check that out if that is your thing. And wow, I'm just going on and on and on and I need to shut up so I can start talking again. So here we go. Let's get into this with Mr. David Brown of Brown Amplification. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have David Brown from Brown Amplification. And I noticed your last name has no E but your company name has an E. I'm just that realizing that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that just dawned on me right this second, but it did. So I felt like I had to say it. Well, I, you know what? I 
put that E on the end of there because I was trying to create some individuality to the brand way back years ago. Mm -hmm. Way back years ago. So let's let's dive into it. Like, how did you get started? I've in my you know view of it, Brown popped up pretty aggressively in the last I want to say three to four years, but I'm sure that's not the full story. Yep. So when did you start? How did how did this all happen? So I'm trying to remember which came first, but uh, played music for years, um, been playing music my whole life and had an amp repair that was exorbitantly expensive. So a friend of mine convinced me I should learn how to work on amps because until then I had only built cars. And Ooh, another car guy. This is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, love. I'm a big motorhead. So uh I started um, redoing old blackface fenders, got Gerald Weber's book and started learning how to solder and, and redoing old blackface fenders. And um, eventually, at some point, decided to build a guitar. Um, I think that was when I broke my hand. Uh, I was wrestling with a friend's brother, mm -hmm. uh, and I fell on top of him and stuck my arm out to catch myself so I didn't smash him. Uh, and broke a bone in my hand, like the classic football break, whatever oh, yeah. that bone is. I forget mm -hmm. what it's called. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't play guitar for months, which was really painful. Um, not the break, that was painful, but not being able to play music was really painful. And I was totally. trying to figure out what to do with myself. And so I built a Stratocaster. Um, and like a parts caster, or were you carving it out and doing the whole thing? Uh, I bought the neck, but I. I think for that one, I carved the body myself. Cool. I grew up doing lots of woodworking, doing lots of mechanic stuff. Um, my dad's a mechanical engineer, so I just kind of grew up with this idea that you can make or fix anything. Just have to do it. Mm -hmm. So that got ingrained in me very young, which I'm really grateful to my dad for that. Um, and so built a guitar. Uh, I think I did Fralin Vintage Hots, and it, it was... Um, I, you know, played a bunch of guitars and measured the necks and kind of figured out exactly what I liked and kind of came up with this weird hybrid, you know, felt more like a Gibson, but sounded more like a Strat. Um, and I just, I loved it. And everybody else that played it loved it. So I built a few more for different people and just, you know, kind of built three or four guitars a year for guys and three or four amps a year for guys. And um, it was just kind of a side hustle thing. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, 2000-ish. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing that for a long time. The, the protein, um, I'd been touring um, a ton as a guitar tech, and I loved it, but four teenagers at home, or two teenagers at home at that point, this was not working. So um, Adam convinced me to... Um, do a small run of the protein pedal because I had built one for him uh, and he loved it and said, man, if you made these, I think people would want them. And mm -hmm. so I, um, and just to take a step back, Adam is for the listeners. Who's Adam? Adam Stigowski. Uh, he's longtime friend client. Um, I've built him lots of guitars and amplifiers and he owns more Brown gear than anybody else. As there far you as go. I know. Nice. Uh, and good buddy of mine. And, he had wanted me to build him this pedal. And so that was the protein. And 
um, I spent a long time trying to get that right. And he and I went back and forth a lot of times on different revisions and, um, Sorry, I'm going to try to figure out how to turn off my notifications. <laughs> yes. It is dinging in my ears. <laughs> the legendary do not disturb that. button. No worries. Yes. Yeah, people will see me occasionally looking down uh, at the beginning of the episode, and that's because I'm checking my phone to make sure I turn that off. People are like, are you texting right? while the guests are on? I'm like, no, I'm just making sure <laughs> that I'm not getting texts. <laughs> yeah, I probably should do that too. I uh, There we go. There it is. Sometimes I have it on to a detrimental degree where it was like, I've been calling you all morning. Like, oh, sorry. Whoops. I forgot to turn it off. <laughs> yep. You can get yourself in trouble that way. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not sorry. So uh, you're right. <laughs> well, depending on who's trying to get a hold of you. <laughs> there are places where I lay my head at night where uh, it'd be better if I wasn't in big trouble. <laughs> hey, she knows right where I am. I'm just out in the shed. So she can find me. There you go. Um, so Adam, you know, was a big fan of making more than one of these pedals. And so I, uh, you know, kind of put all the cash together. I could scrape up and made a hundred protein pedals mm-hmm. and figured maybe I'd be able to sell enough of them to make my money back. And it's just kind of been, we've been playing catch up ever since. Nice. Um, can't, can't seem to, make enough of them fast enough. Very cool. Which is, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm actually totally blown away. And about what really time lucky. period was this? Oh, three years ago or so. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not losing I'm terrible my mind. with times and dates. Yeah, no, no, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. And the protein for, I, that's the one I've seen the most. You've obviously got a, a few more, but they seem to have their roots in that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, so the protein was, um, uh, you know, an ODR one type, you know, it started its life there and got real heavily tweaked and, uh, a blues breaker with added output section, you know, somewhat modified together in one box. And then those two pedals, um, we have had enough people ask for them, the individual, you know, you've got the, the green, you know, the green side and the blue side. And so you've got the blue fans and the green fans, guys that, love one and want more than one of one or you know just want that side so we made the carbon which is the blue side we had so much request for that as a standalone pedal so the the one that's more like a blues breaker ish um that's the carbon and then we're getting ready to release the atom which is the green side on its own Mm -hmm. um we also have uh a pedal that was uh, based on all my years of trying to modify a big muff so that I could use it in a live band setting. And that's called the T4. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then we released the fixer last year, which is, a, a you know, I had guys ask me for years, what's your favorite buffer? And I said, well, it, it doesn't exist. So <laughs> that's my favorite buffer, the fixer. And then it's got two independent boosts that you can switch between and a tuner output and a mute. So it's just kind of meant to be a front of your pedal board problem solver. Got it. Got it. Got it. Very cool. So, you, so you've released a lot into the wild, like very, very quickly, you know, by, by some people's standards. Some There's some brands that will ride one unit for a, a very long time, but you guys have just kind of taken the ball and, and, and ran with it. Is this something that, 
just purely based on requests or how do you decide what to develop when? So the T4, which is the fuzz, was the second release. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, Josh Scott's a good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. Um, I've worked on all of his amplifiers and, well, probably not all of his amplifiers. I, I went through his entire collection of Fender amplifiers. And then uh, for years, I'd been um, working on his Softex, mm-hmm. changing all the pots and making those MiG-50s awesome. He has a bunch of random Softex that I... So I spent a year about uh, going through Josh's amps over at JHS, which was a blast. Um, nice. And so Josh and I are good friends. And he heard me playing the T4 at a gig and came up to me and said, what the heck was that? And I said, oh, it's it's this. And he said, you should release that next. And so he was super excited when it came out. We made 100 of those and he debuted it on the JHS show and sold out in minutes. It was, it was insane. Um, that sounds like Josh. That sounds like the Josh yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's amazing. I love him. Um, and, you know, we've got three or four more uh, in the queue. And I'm, you know, spending a lot of time these days designing pedals because that's what I really love doing. So I feel really lucky to get to do that. Mm-hmm. Started a business and then uh, was the chief fireman for a long time and then tried to figure out how to get myself out of that role so I could go back to designing pedals. That's uh, one of the tricky things about being in business, right? <clears throat> Especially in yes. a, any kind of manufacturing capacity is is real easy to start wearing all of the hats. And then when you start mm-hmm. wearing all of the hats, it's very difficult to take them off and sometimes relinquish that control to somebody who, you know, maybe is better at it or maybe just it needs just needs to get off your plate. How do you uh, figure out how to juggle some of that stuff so you can get back to the root of it, what it is you like to do. Well, I feel really lucky in that, uh, being friends with Josh, I was able to, um, garner a lot of wisdom from him and, you know, just kind of watch how things ran and figure out ways that I would or wouldn't want to do things based on the way that the way the JHS was running. Um, and, based on what I wanted to run, you know, and I have a couple of really good friends who are really smart guys that kind of sit on my board. Well, they don't, mm-hmm. they are my board. And, you know, at some point they started saying, Dave, you gotta, you gotta hire somebody to do all this stuff that you're really bad at, like run business. <laughs> um, and a uh, very good friend of mine, Ben Woodward guy who I trust, uh, very deeply. um, became available and I hired him. Nice. And he kind of runs the ship as it were. So like from an operations standpoint or a marketing standpoint or yes, all of it. Uh, He's wearing a lot of hats right now. (laughs) Um, He's kind of GM kind of running things. I'm kind of trying to design things and uh, keep production flowing We've got another uh, guy we hired this year, Braxton, who's doing all our repairs and helping me design stuff and um, and does a lot of testing because we test a lot of, you know, we test everything for, we ship it out. Everything gets double tested. So that's um, a big job as well. But it's the three of us doing everything. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I, I like talking to uh, people who, 
make stuff, obviously, and especially when people make stuff in a production capacity, because I don't know if you're aware, but the audience is very aware that I'm a partner in Stringjoy. And while I don't handle the day-to-day operations there, that's that's all on Scott. I think a lot of people, they don't, I mean, even, even us, almost nobody when they start out, like realizing how difficult, it's really easy to make one thing, you know? Right. But, but trying to make lots of that one thing and have it be as good as the time that you could only focus on the one thing is really, really difficult. And you have to implement systems and different things. So like, how was it for you guys moving from, you know, okay, I'm kind of doing these one-off projects to now making a hundred, like, and now you're making even more than that with multiple models. How, how was that process for you guys? So I built a lot of through-hole hand-built pedals in my life, and I enjoy doing that occasionally. Um, it's great if you're wanting to change parts out, test stuff, right? Like it's a it's a fairly friendly platform for um, reworking and modifying parts. But to put something into production that way, the uh, the amount of labor and man hours required, I quickly realized I do not want to build a hundred of anything this way. Uh, and so based on long hours of conversation with Josh and several other industry guys, I decided to go SMD and see what the result was. And mm-hmm. so I had, uh, some SMD boards made for the protein with the same design as what I had built the prototypes through hole. And, um, I liked them just as well as the through-hole proteins. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, they were far more consistent. So whereas, you know, with the through-hole, you'd build five and one of them would be really exceptional. And then four, you know, three would be good and one would be weird. And you'd have to try and figure out where the inconsistency was. The, the SMD, once in a while, I'll have a bad board. But most of the time, they all sound almost identical, and they all sound fantastic. So if the layout's good and the part selection is good, um, it makes production much more manageable. So then you just, you know, your through-hole components are your pots and your switches. And now we're doing relays so um, for soft switching. So there's not even – the T4 is still hard switching, but everything else is, is relays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that was a game-changer production-wise. Yeah, that makes a big difference. So, and I've had a little bit of experience on both sides, not necessarily with like pick and place machines and things like that. But as far as through hole versus SMD, you know, last year I did the uh, pizza pedal with big ear pedals and the original prototypes, you know, this is called the slice of pie. It was in the shape of a piece of pizza. People probably saw it. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> we, we get the prototypes and uh, we had a lot of people put their ears on it. And and by the time it ended up to me, it already been through several filters. And I was just swapping out a couple of parts and, and making the fine tune. Like they all sounded good at this point. Which kind of good do you want it to <laughs> go right. with, basically? Uh, and then they sent me the final version that was the one I own now. And it was an SMD revision of the, the original through-hole design. I'm like, this is not only quieter, but it's mm-hmm. better. Like it's tighter. Every, everything was just better about it. And a lot of people yeah. don't like in this space, don't like to hear that. They're like, ah, it's garbage. It's garbage. And that's just not true. It's not true at all. Well, 
Yeah, we we um, we believed this for a long time that like a you know a big film capacitor is going to sound better than a small one, and that for some reason being you know I believed it. It, it you know Josh is the one that convinced me to even try this. He mm-hmm. said they're more consistent. They're, it's not worse. You're not going to not like it because it's SMD. Uh, you you know you might not like the parts that you chose or the values that you chose, but right. <laughs> um, I agree. People, people don't like it and they don't really want to hear it. But my personal experience is 100% what you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and if you got to think about it, there's a reason that iPhones aren't through hole and it isn't just for the, <laughs> it isn't just because that it would be too you big. You haven't seen my through hole iPhone. Uh, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's the technology has gotten better and better and it just keeps improving over time it's it's kind of hilarious that we as guitar player and i'm totally i love vintage stuff i love mm. you know the the quote unquote mojo like i like all that i i think it's fun and i think it's interesting but i also know some of that is just me being nostalgic and weird about it it's not rooted in any actual sure. science it's just it's just cool because it is cool like right uh, like that 55 junior back there, not the epitome of guitar technology, but I sure like it. It sure is cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, vibey. Vibey yeah. as heck. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> and that's, that's what, where we get weird as guitar players, where we're like, we agonize sometimes over one transistor in a vintage fuzz face. Meanwhile, there's like, what, how many billion transistors in the M- Apple M1 chip? I don't even remember. Some ridiculous number. Yeah all in that one chip. So it's, um, it's wild. What the things that we will argue about on the internet, I've, I've actually stepped into forums before (laughs) and, and I've said, you know, on the gear page and a few other places, I don't really go on the gear page anymore, but in a few other places, I've just been like, you realize we're all like grown adults arguing about toys, right? (laughs) Like that's, that's, that's what's going on right don't, now. Don't, don't, don't tell them that. <laughs> no, they don't want to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody. Now, I'm going to say, I do love germanium transistors. Of course. They're they're great. And the, there's a something to boxes. germanium. Yeah. Yeah. I have boxes and boxes, and I have plans. Uh, because, the, you know, there are things that nothing else... To me, to my ear, nothing else captures that. So mm-hmm. I love germanium fuzzes. Now, do I want to use one uh, on a cold or a hot day, or be you know what I mean? Do I am I going to want to rely on that for a tool that I need for in a certain live setting? Maybe not. Um, but boy, they sure are fun toys. But in said. a studio Just setting, cool. why not? Right? Let, right. Let, let it rip. Yeah. <laughs> really cool inductors and wah pedals. Like it, it, it's really hard to fake that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even up, I've, I've said this on a bunch of episodes lately, but 2014 is when I built the, uh, the shred shed out here and I spent a ton of time and a ton of money, you know, trying to make it as sound isolated as possible because I was like, I have to be able to crank tube amps. I have to, that's the only way mm-hmm. I can live my life <laughs> is, is if I can crank tube amps. And if I had waited to do that just a few years if I'd waited till 2016, 2017, modeling came around so much in that very short time frame. And and now it's just absolutely insane what you can do with a plugin that I may not have built this and spent all the time and money. That said, I will go back and forth between the plugins I use and my 
nice tube amps. I do it all the time. And every time I plug in a stereo rig into like two, you know, half stacks and just let it rip, I'm like, you know what? I made the right choice. <laughs> I am glad to be alive in this moment. <laughs> so there is as for all the practical reasons that we might say components don't matter that much, it's more about yeah, you know, design and selection. There is something to the old way, quote unquote, of doing things. There's, there's a reason that we all got so excited about this stuff in the first place. So hope the listeners don't hear me yeah. belly aching about this and think that I'm like poo-pooing all of the cool old stuff. I'm not. I'm just saying that sometimes we put an emphasis, we overemphasize things that don't necessarily make as much of a difference as we think they do. Yes. I, yeah. I mean, when I build amps, I'm not building them with PCBs, although there is parts of it that I would be willing to use PCBs for, but I'm never going to attach a tube socket to a PCB. Right. Sure. Um, and, you know, I've got a, a Walrus ACS-1 here that, like, this thing running in stereo is magical with the mm -hmm. right IRs and whatever. Is it as good as some of my old amps with a really good microphone into a really good pre into a really good tube compressor through a really good converter probably arguably not but is you know that's not what the setup that i have at you know the dirty club on friday night or church on sunday morning mm -hmm. i don't have half that gear right so then the then the you know modeling pedal ends up winning hi i'm vincent and i'm here to talk about the maris my dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at Maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my Pocky? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's his new, uh, I can think of, this is terrible of me. 
Howard, who used to work at Catlin Bread years ago, and he has a mm -hmm. new company. My brain is not working. I can picture his pedal. It's called the Groovy Wizard. Oh, he's probably going to be mad at me if he ever hears this. But <laughs> Kitty Caster. Kitty Caster Effects. That's what his new company is called. He posted okay. a... This is not exactly like modeling versus not modeling, but he posted a clip on Instagram. And I, you know, there's there's some things there. It's like probably an MP3 and it's going through the internet. So it's not going to be the most accurate thing in the world, but it's pretty, pretty right. decent. He did a, a cranked Marshall with a mic cab versus that same Marshall into the UA aux with the same mic selection you know, on mm -hmm. the same cab in the, in the software and had people try to guess which clip was which. And I got it right, but it was backwards from what a, a lot of the people were saying. You know, I, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I had a 50. I'm not saying I have these magic ears. I just, I got lucky. But I was listening for which one I thought sounded tighter and a little bit more refined. And that was the UA. Um, because... The, what in my experience, like a really well done IR by a company like Universal Audio, who's put thousands of dollars and thousands of hours into that research, it's it's gonna be like slightly slightly more refined sounding, oftentimes with those cab sims than an actual hmm. mic'd up. Unless you're talking about you know you've ran it through a bunch of compressors and you've you know you've really spent the time on that thirty second Instagram clip. Oftentimes the IRs kind of win in those, yeah. uh, which is, it pains me to say, but on a recording, it's just kind of the reality uh, that I've experienced anyway. I think something that's exciting for me about all that is I remember um, being young and playing a Squire Strat and dreaming of the day that I could, you know, own a cool vintage amp and mm -hmm the accessibility of great sounds. I mean, if you have a laptop and a couple of good pedals and an amp sim, I mean, what, what you can create these days is amazing. And that makes me really happy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I actually, I didn't plan on doing this, but Christmas Eve, I pulled out my old Les Paul, the first electric guitar I ever owned. I plugged into a Mr. Black tape X2 plugged stereo into the Benson. Love that pedal. Oh, it's absolutely one of my very favorite things. I have a little bit of a personal attachment to that one because it was one of the first pedals that I was asked to put my ears on before release day. But uh, I absolutely, Ooh, nice. absolutely love the Tape X2. <clears throat> I plugged it into the Benson Chimera uh, plug-in. Mm -hmm. In about 10, 15 minutes, I recorded a cover of Silent Night. And that night I uploaded it to DistroKid. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? This sounds really good. I didn't, I did mixed it a little bit. I added a little bit here and there, but largely, and I had like had some synth pads in the background that I added, but largely it's just me finger picking a Les Paul and into this cab sim. And I'm like, this sound, everybody I've sent it to says like, this sounds really good. What did you use? I'm like, this is all it is. <laughs> it's, it's nothing. It, I feel I feel like I'm cheating because it was so easy to I do. Feel dirty. Yeah, yes. I'm not. I'm not clean. <laughs> <laughs> but that said, you know, like I said, there's still nothing like opening it up and just absolutely letting it rip. That's it's it's the feeling that we all that we all crave, right? Yeah, 
I mean, I love gear. I, I did a twin reverb years ago, uh, had Weber recone the orange JBL. So it's a silver face twin reverb with JBLs in it that I, you know, went through and just dialed it. And it's one of the best amps I've ever heard in my life. Um, and I mean, you turn that thing on eight and stand in front of it and, you know, a twin reverb can take your face off, but that particular twin reverb with those JBLs, it was just glorious. Mm -hmm. Stratocaster into that. You were just at little wing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You got to love it. What are, what are some of your early gear memories? Like you talked about like having a squire and dreaming of, of better tone, but when did you actually plug into something that made you go, whoa? Yeah. So my, my journey with gear was, um, you know, I had a really bad, uh, particle board Les Paul. That was my first electric guitar that I played on for years. Um, learned, I think every Led Zeppelin song there was on that guitar. Nice. Um, and that Squire was a big upgrade for me. Um, you know, I think I was playing through a, a crate, half stack at that point yeah eventually eventually i traded that crate half stack and that little half rack processor for a twin reverb not a glorious twin reverb like the one i just described but uh a silver face that would take your head off uh, you could knock down planes with that twin reverb but it was amazing it was so much better than the than the crate um so my you know my journey with gear was um you know, just gradually trying to be able to afford stuff. I eventually bought a reissue tweed basin. Mm -hmm. Um, and I loved that amp. Um, that's the one that broke that cost me almost as much as I paid for it to get it fixed, which started me on my, on my journey of fix your own gear. Mm -hmm. You never know what's going to do it, right? That's <laughs> and, yeah. And then, you know, I honestly built that strat and that was, probably the first guitar I ever owned that blew my mind. That had to have been an interesting feeling that like, Hey, I made this from a block of wood and some parts. And it's mm -hmm. now, now feels like one of those instruments that, you know, you, there's some instruments you pick up and you're like, yeah, it's cool. Some you pick up and you're like, I must, I must have this. That, that had yeah. to have been kind of trippy having that come from your own process. Well, and it was weird because I'd gone through this, you know, four month period, I think of being in a cast and not being able to play guitar and then kind of coming out of this to being able to start learning how to play again. Uh, and this was the guitar that I had to play. And I, it, so, you know, there had to have been some of that in there as well as, you know, I can finally play guitar again. And this guitar sounds like the best guitar I've ever played. Now, knock on wood. I've never had to be out of commission with playing in that capacity for that long was it weird did it feel like like unnatural or was it like riding a bike when you finally did get to come back to it so you know maybe two months in they told me i could start playing slide so i had been playing some but it was it was not like riding a bike it was not natural i had to i'd lost a lot of muscle and a lot of dexterity i'm not sure that i ever got the dexterity fully back um, because I played a lot before that. I mean, there was quite a few years where I pay, played, you know, almost all day, every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to go from that to, you know, 
being uh, a you know married adult with a child trying to play was a to- whole different game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, that's that's. I wouldn't a- recommend breaking breaking your hand. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like a, a good time at all. So when you when you transition to having your own company and you were getting out of, you know, the touring lifestyle and everything, what was your family's reaction to this? Was it like, "Hey, I'm starting this small business" because I know it it can be a bit scary to strike out on your own. How did that go for you? I think we were all on board with, we've got to figure something out and I'm going to try this. And, uh, it became apparent fairly quickly that it was going to work. And I, I feel really lucky for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brown Amplification has been around. I mean, that, that first, that first guitar had Brown on the headstock. So it's been around since 2000, but that was our first, like, we're going to attempt to make something that we can scale. Right. Right. And the guys that I talk about that uh, are on my board, you know, they were guys who taught me words like scale. So, uh, you know, <laughs> and not they, scale length. One of them, yeah, right. <laughs> one of them had been running a a business here in Kansas City, and you know, really quickly realized that all of the business was dependent on him and his ability to produce. And uh, you know, so there was some really great lessons that um i got to learn vicariously through some really smart people of ways to do things so i feel really lucky and i feel well guided and yeah it's really good to have that the access to that stuff that's one of the things that i've told a lot of people when they've asked me about wanting to quit their job or like i want to start this you know guitar shop or repair shop or whatever youtube channel whatever the case may Mm be and you know, I did, I did both for actually. I, I I basically tell everybody I worked three full time jobs for like mm-hmm. three four years, and I probably should have done it a little bit longer. I couldn't mentally handle it any longer than that. But uh, right. but I I did. I was I was working my my full time job day job in the oil industry. I was doing uh like like marketing consulting, and I was trying to get the podcast off the ground all at the same time and eventually I was able to leave but it it's one of those things where I've told people don't be afraid to to do multiple things if you have the capacity to do it because you're gonna screw up and you're gonna screw up forever you're like that's that's never really gonna be something that you totally get away from but in the beginning that's why they say most small businesses don't last very long because a lot of people will dive in with both feet and not have any cushion to make those mistakes. So I always yeah. try to encourage people to, you know, you know, give yourself some runway because you're going to make mistakes that'll, that are going to cost you money. And it's best if you can still eat through that. So, right. Yeah. But, and you know, but you had this guidance. Out, out. Yeah. The family company, but it's nice that you had this guidance out the gate to help kind of smooth that out a little bit. I think that's pretty unusual. Yeah. I, I mean, I had the repair business going and I had a lot of work when I decided to, to uh, step back from the gig that I had. And I had a really awesome gig and I loved it. Um, and I knew I could go back to that. If I, if, if we decided that I knew that going and 
getting a guitar tech job would not be hard. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be hard right now. Um, because I, that, I didn't mean that to come off as arrogant, but I worked for great people and, and had lots of really positive relationships and guys that would speak for me. That's all I'm saying by that. I get it. Um, but, you know, had a lot of work lined out um, because Josh was like, hey, will you go through all these old all these old amps and I'm looking at this stack of amps going, this is going to take months. And so I had that lined up and, you know, my wife has always worked. Um, and so it, it definitely wasn't like quitting your day job to go try something else. It was a huge risk and a huge investment. But, um, but like you said, I was doing, wearing a lot of different hats as well Mm -hmm. as stay at home dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really think that that's a beneficial way to do it. I really think that, that yeah. there's kind of a, uh, you know, entrepreneurship has been somewhat glorified in the last 15 years or so. And I, I really like it. I'm the type of person who will definitely work 120 hours so I don't have to work 40 for somebody else. That's just, that's just my mindset and I've said this before on the show, my dad's not that way. Like he, he did work for himself for a lot of years and he realized it's not for him. He's happier being able to punch a clock, punch out and not think about it anymore. And as an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily have that luxury. It's pretty much always in your brain somewhere swimming around. You can't leave, you can't leave it at work fully, you know, especially when work is something that you're passionate about, which is music, you know, that, that makes it yeah. all pretty much unavoidable. Uh, so you have yeah. to be okay with that if you are going to dive into it. And, and, uh, I do think that there's been some romanticism. Uh, everyone thinks they're going to be Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> or something. And uh, back in the, back in the day, people didn't like to say that they were entrepreneurs and now everybody has that in their Instagram bio, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> You know, I think the water gets real murky real fast, like you said, when it's music and it's something that you, it's, it's a great way to take something that you really love and mess it up real good. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I love guitar pedals and I hate them equally currently. Uh, I feel really lucky and, and, um, and I'm so grateful, but I don't ever go home from work okay. and that's hard. I'm not complaining, but it's real. It's something to consider if you're if you're listening to this right now, and you're thinking how great it would be if I could start the next Brown amplification. Do some soul searching before you go into it, because maybe it's not for you, and that's fine. Don't feel bad about it because you determine that that's not for you. I think knowing yourself is like the first step in getting fulfillment out of your career. I think a lot of people, mm. like myself included, I. I worked really hard to get into the position I was in at that former job. And I got there and was like, well, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But it was my own fault. I worked really, really hard to to get there and put all my eggs into that basket. And I finally got there and realized, oh, I I didn't really like this. If I had been a little more self-aware, I maybe could have gotten to doing what I'm doing a lot sooner. You know, but mm. I'm not regretting anything. It all works out the way it's supposed to work out. Mostly just trying to save a listener from beating themselves up too much. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, we get emails once in a while, like I would like to start a pedal company and, you know, I, uh, in, in no way trying to protect myself or the pedal industry by saying, are you sure? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and a lot of people now, this is, this is something that I, obviously I've got a lot of friends in the industry, just like you do. And I'm sure that this is not new information to yourself, but a lot of people come to, to work at, or they start to work at Stringjoy in particular. And they're like, cool, I'm going to be playing guitar all day for some reason. It's like, no, you're not ever going to play guitar here. You're going to be making strings. You're going to be packing stuff. That's the reality. Mm -hmm. You're going to be, in your case, you're going to be soldering. You're going to be, you're very rarely going to be playing guitar, maybe when you're testing stuff. But even then, yep. you're not going to be just like ripping through a full stack for a good time. You're testing stuff to make sure it works. Right. It's, right. it's amazing how little guitar can be played when you own a guitar related company, uh, at least during work yep. hours. And how it will affect your desire to play the guitar and your relationship with the guitar and music and, you know, everything that you were talking about a few minutes ago. I, mm -hmm. I you know, finished this office um, two year and a half ago because I realized I have to create a space that's separate from where I work on things. Now, I still do a lot of testing in here, but I had to create a space that was separate from where I actually solder things to play music because otherwise... Um, just any desire to do that was, was, um, was interrupted by the amount of tasks and things that I saw in front of me. I couldn't like focus on, I'm going to go play music because it's like, well, I need to finish that. And I've got that and I need to do that. And I, you know what I mean? I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a little bit of that problem myself. Uh, like this is this is my fun space and it's also my workspace and the two mm -hmm. swirl together quite often which is both good and bad because <laughs> I'll get right. I'll be like I'm supposed to be demoing this instead I like went off and wrote something instead which is right. not really pertinent to like literally like I'll be getting set up to do a demo of a pedal and I'll be like and this is the this is great but it's also not productive I'll be real inspired and I'll just like, well, I want to record this real quick. And then I'm like, you didn't set up your cameras. You didn't do any of the other stuff you were supposed to do <laughs> in the meantime. And now you've got a cool track that you can't really do anything with. But uh, setting up the time and, and maybe you already do this, but I, I've said this to others that work in this industry. What really saved it for me was having a project that I had to work on because I publicly said I was going to work on it, uh, brought me kind of back from the sort of mundane, like, here's what this pedal sounds like, do, 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 to where in 2021, I was just like, I'm going to release an album. I said mm. it on the podcast. I was like, I'm releasing a record this year, and I don't care what I use on it. I don't care what gear I select. I'm just going to pick things that are inspiring me in that moment, and I'm going to make music just to make music, not to show off yep. what the piece of gear can do. And that really did a lot for me. Uh, I was really happy with how the record turned out. <clears throat> and the reception was incredibly nice, which was kind of shocking because it's pretty weird. <clears throat> but uh, having that project really reinvigorated the love of making music to make music and not to show off the gear. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've done some stuff in the studio with Adam recently. 
And it's still been gear related, but it's been very different from normal day to day where I'm in a recording studio with a guitar, um, which is not my normal day to day life. Right. And we're Mm -hmm. trying to make something beautiful. And it's incredible how much life that that gives. Yeah. To me. Yep. So, yeah, that's great advice. It takes you back to the the reason you got into this in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we all need, you know? Yeah. It's a, I, I was thinking when you were, when you were talking about, um, kind of getting lost in a, you're demoing a piece of gear and you kind of get lost and go off on a tangent and find yourself being really inspired to me that, uh, that's a marker for, um, something is nearly done or nearly completed, or I've created something that's really great. When I go to play a guitar that I'm, whether I'm working on it for somebody else or whether it's something that I've built or it's something I'm modifying, when I, when I plug into a piece of gear and I start playing it and I get lost in it. And mm-hmm. inspired by it, I'm like, you, you just did something there. Right. You just made something cool. <laughs> right. It's, it's that's, nearly that's why I do this. Yes. Right. Yes. I love that. And seeing that happen with other people is the coolest thing. You know, you, you take something that you had a hand in or that you made and you put it in front of somebody and watch them have that experience, you know, whether it's at an amp show or, you know, what, whatever. It's the coolest yeah. thing. You know, I've, I've gotten a really, uh, gotten the really fortunate opportunity to, you know, take gear to people that I really admire and watch their eyes light up. I'm like, oh, but I love your music and you love this thing that I had some small hand in. And this is what come full circle. (laughs) Do you have moments like that? I just had one the other night where I got a text from somebody, uh, and, uh, guitar player that I love who had just showed the protein to another guitar player that I love. And he was like, Oh my gosh, he was blown away by this pedal. And, and he's connecting the two of us and we're, and I'm texting with, you know, an artist that I just, should I say, I don't know if I should say names. You should say, yeah, name drop, drop that name. Okay. No, drop that so, name. Drop well, that name. <laughs> okay. So Mason Stoops is texting me the other night and saying, I just, I just, I'm helping Theo Katzman put a pedal board together uh, and he yes. just played the protein. And his mind was, you know, he loved it and put us in touch. And so I've been texting with Theo. And I love Theo Katzman. I love his music. And he's such an amazing artist. He just dropped a new single this morning. Somebody sent it to me. Uh, and I listened to it first thing this morning. and was like, wow, that is incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, you know, you're just, I'm just like a little kid all night. I'm just giddy because I'm texting with Theo Katzman. And I love his music. That, no, I, I totally get it. And that's... That's the thing about this industry that is really kind of unlike any other, in my opinion. Uh, I'm sure there are similarities in, in other things somewhere that I'm just not aware of. But, you know, Scott and I, uh, Scott at Stringjoy, I know I'm just saying that nonstop, mm-hmm. but uh, we talk about this a lot where I think he's a really brilliant dude. And I've, I've said this before, if he was... If he had started a toilet paper company, I'd probably want to get involved because he's just a really smart dude. And, you know, all that to say is like the music gear industry, I think sometimes the consumers of it may have a different perception of it than what it actually is. There are very few people just Scrooge McDucking through gold doubloons in this industry. It's just not, <laughs> not really, a, not really a thing that, that happens very often. Uh, Sure, there you can do really well, and you can have be comfortable, and but but you're not going to be Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. It's just not going to happen. No. Um, but the experiences you get 
when you get to have things like that happen where Theo's texting you and where you get to go to shows and meet up with people that you really admire yeah. and you, that is m- worth more than money. I mean, you got to have enough money to oh. eat, but, <laughs> but at the end of right. the day, those experiences are what make this industry really, really special and worth putting all the time and effort into. And I've had enough pinch me moments at this point that I never thought mm-hmm. was going to happen that I, now I'm pretty confident they're going to continue to happen more and more over time because it's like, I can't believe I'm talking to this person. Can't believe I'm talking to this yep. person. Can't believe. So that's what's magical about this business, I think. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because... Let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. I totally agree. I got to go see Mason play with Marcus Mumford uh, on the Marcus touring his newest record. And I mean, that guy playing a fretless baritone, you know, sustainer guitar, just mind blowing. Yeah. I have never seen a guitar do that before. (laughs) Thank you. Uh (laughs) Yep. And you get to know the person. And yeah, Mason's a great dude. I've talked to him a handful of times. And it's yeah, uh, so kind. It's uh, it's that's what the people in this business, I, I think, are what what make it special. And with pedal companies and and just gear companies in general, the, I think the reason for that is there, there's just like very few people there. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There are a few people that I don't really want to talk to in this industry. There, there are a few, but they're very rare. Most of it's like, man, that guy's so cool. That girl's so cool. Oh, that person's amazing. And I think it's something about the process of creating these devices and these things that attracts a certain type of person 
because it's very rare for a whole industry just to be riddled with awesome people the way this one is. Yeah, but that's been my experience as well. And mm -hmm. it, that's very interesting observation. And it's, mm -hmm. I mean, for everybody that I've met, I would agree with you. I mm -hmm. haven't actually met anybody who I didn't want to have a conversation with. I haven't physically met you, them. You can tell me who they are later. <laughs> I haven't physically <laughs> met anyone, but that's because I was already aware that I was going to just go ahead. Keep I've, you. Yeah, I've gotten emails from them. Uh, well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. Well, we are approaching the end of the episode. This has been a really great chat. I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to come on and, and hang out with me. It's really enjoyable. Thank you. Of it's course. been a blast. Uh, but before we get into what I like to call the classic questions that I wrap these episodes up on, I like to give the guests a chance to take the floor and you know, shout out your grandma or say anything you want to say. You got the ear of a few thousand people right now and you can plug anything you want to plug. You can thank anybody you want to thank. You can say anything you want to say right now. Man, I, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful for all the support that Brown has had and all of, you know, everybody that's played our stuff. And we've got all these amazing people who take our pedals and show them to other people. And it's just such a gift. I feel like it's a great time to be playing music and be alive. And um, I'm just incredibly um, humbled and grateful by uh, everybody that's, you know, played one of our products or bought one of our products or helped us out in any way. So thank you. There you go. And hey, by listening to this podcast, go check it out. Go to Brown, check it out. It's good stuff. Good people. Definitely slide over to their socials and give them all the likes and do all that stuff. It's, it's, it's incredibly helpful more than you might think it is. Yes. All right. Classic questions. The first one, I'll be actually really curious to get your, your answer to this one because, uh, some people, some people, a lot of musicians have the same answer, but pedal builders, not necessarily. What is your favorite boss pedal? Hmm. There's a lot of them. Um, probably the OD one. Ooh, the OD one. That one's come up a few times lately. What do you like about it? It's just an amazing drive pedal. Do you like it clean into clean amps, dirty amps, boosting other I pedals? I would probably pick something that was starting to break. Mm -hmm. If I want drive, typically I like a drive pedal going into an amp that's starting to break. Just barely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The OD one for me, I've got one. I've got an original MIJ one here somewhere. And uh, I couldn't quite get along with it into clean amps. But yeah, super high gain amps that needed just a little bit more for some reason. That's where I really like the OD one is uh, kind of like how mm. some people would use a, a, a tube screamer, tightening up a 5150 style, like super metal thing. Uh, that's where I think the mm -hmm. OD1 shines, but gives it a, a little bit of a different flavor than trying to do the same thing with the Tube Screamer. So yeah, OD1, nice mm. nice choice. Nice choice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, then this is the final question, and this is the one that causes families to break up and uh, the earth to shatter and the trolls to come out of the cave with their pitchforks and torches, but it, it, it has to be asked, what is your favorite kind of pizza? Uh, 
pineapple and ham. Oh, geez. Well, I'm going to have to scrap this whole episode. I'll just have to. <laughs> just going to leave. This is this is this is terrible. Uh, is it really? Is it you really like the 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 Hawaiian I, pizza? I love I love pineapple. Yeah, I do. Mm, I really okay. love Hawaiian pizza. That's, that's fair. You got a favorite spot? I mean, deep 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 dish pepperoni. Here's the thing: I haven't eaten gluten for like 15 years. I realized I was really seriously allergic to it, and my health improved a whole lot when I stopped eating it. So makes sense. Me and pizza don't have a a deep love affair like we used to but i mean a chicago deep dish pepperoni you know is is uh is a thing of great beauty yeah yeah i uh i as you probably can imagine i'm a, a massive pizza fan this is not the first time it's came back up on this episode and uh the uh pineapple pizza thing is it's i have a bit of a weird relationship with it because i started asking that question about i'm gonna say nine months to a year before it became like an internet battleground i was i started asking that mm. I, you know what's your favorite kind of pizza on the end of every episode since like episode i don't know somewhere in the teens i think and the pineapple on i didn't know that like it was a super common thing that people do. I, I just don't like pineapple which is you know that's my weird mm. thing i don't like it on anything i don't want to eat it Wow. Period. Yeah. It's not my thing for some reason. I don't know. I keep trying. So it. are you, are you a teriyaki guy? Uh, not really. No. Okay. I'll eat it. Any sweet, any sweet and savory thing that you are like, I enjoy that. Maple bacon. I like that. Mm. Um, yes. there's, a, there's more, there's, a, I, I like, like a sweet and salty, like popcorn and stuff like that. There's plenty of sweet mm -hmm. and savory things I like. I don't like the flavor of pineapple. It's not mm. just sweet. It's got a weird tang to it that I, I just yeah, don't agree. It's almost with. fruity. Yes. <laughs> it's like it's a fruit or something. You know what I mean? What's going on here? I can't say I don't I like fruit. Pineapple. I can't say I don't like fruit on pizza because tomatoes technically fruit. So I mean, you know, they're a beautiful fruit. I like, uh, I like peppers. Like, I like hot peppers, obviously, but like I also like a little mm -hmm. bell pepper on my pizza, and that's kind of sweet. So mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a uh, it's something that I can't explain. There is one application where I do like pineapple, but I don't want the chunks of pineapple in there the way some places serve it. I really love al pastor, which is mm, yeah traditionally cooked with yeah. pineapple. I love mm -hmm. it. It's one of my favorite Mexican meats is al pastor. But some yeah. places will actually it's have one the, of the best the chunks of pineapple in it, and I. Mm -hmm. I don't like that, but I, I appreciate okay. that it needs cooked with the pineapple in order to be. I can I can take you know. chunks or not chunks. I love al pastor. It's such a good meat. I think it's I underrated. Tacos. It is underrated. We make carnitas at my house on the regular. I'll cook mm. a whole pork butt, and we will eat carnitas for days. Do you smoke them? How do you cook it? Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I'll either smoke it or I'll cook it in the pressure cooker or I'll cook it in the oven. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, kind of whatever. Just got to cook for a real long time until it shreds real easy and needs yeah. lots of cumin and lime and onions and all the goodness. Mm. Tell me about your smoker mm -hmm. setup. Let's talk about that real quick before we got to go. Uh, okay. So I had a Traeger, but I got rid of it this last year and I got a master built okay. gravity feed charcoal and I made the best brisket I've ever had in my life really? on that this year. So I, I uh, injected it and, 
you know, there's a there's a really great barbecue place here in town called Q39. And uh, oh, I've had it. Summer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So their burnt ends are to die for, and uh, so was discussing uh, the the guy, the founder of it, passed last year, and was I talking to that. a buddy of his. Yeah, yeah, it was really sad. I was talking to a buddy of his, and they were talking. He was talking about their years of uh, barbecue um, competitions, and you know cosmos injections and all these lovely things and so i i kind of went down the rabbit hole with him and did exactly what he said and i uh, made a mind-blowing brisket but the the charcoal is a game changer i i got away from charcoal because takes too long and you know grilling i grill a lot in the summer and kids and all of that but man that gravity feed with the the fan and everything it gets to temperature really fast like 15 minutes it'll get to 600 degrees so really hmm. it's my all-in-one grill now you got me curious. I've got a Traeger that I've used it for, oh, geez, probably almost 10 years at this point. Yep. And it's getting towards the end of its lifespan. We literally cook on it three, four times a week and have since we've got it. Uh, so you grill as well as smoke. Yep. I do both. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it. <laughs> my wife, is, it's funny to hear her say this. She's like, if the Traeger goes out. I mean, that's like at our house, that's like the refrigerator going out. Like, oh, no, mm-hmm. we got to replace this immediately. <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem if we don't have the trigger. Yeah. Uh, it's getting to the end of its lifespan. So I've been exploring other options. I, I'm, I may go back with Traeger because this one has definitely served me well. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's Green Mountain out there. You know, yeah. there's uh, the Rectech really has my eye right now, especially being mm-hmm. all stainless. Uh, but I yep. have... I have thought about trying the charcoal. But I'm a little bit scared of going away from what I know, like any good guitar player. Uh. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the Traeger that I had, to be fair, um, the guy that sold it to me at Costco, so it was a Silverton, it was a Costco model, uh, yep. I was told would do grilling and smoking equally well. And that was not my experience. It did, I did not um, appreciate burgers on it. Now, hmm. I've been at friend's house and they've grilled on their, you know, other model triggers and I've made great burgers, great chicken. But for me, it was not, I, I preferred my gas grill for grilling. Was it not so consistent I, enough or what was it doing that you it didn't wouldn't like? get hot enough? Oh, okay. Interesting. Which, which is odd, you know, it is weird. Um, I mean, it's not, not something I wanted to cook steak on. Yeah. Um, uh, but this master built, you know, it'll go 750 degrees. It'll oh, wow. Sear anything. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it, I got rid of my gas grill and my Traeger, um, sold my year old Traeger. And, and this was the master belt was significantly cheaper than even buying a new gas grill. So that's the thing is, yeah, they're not, that, they're not that expensive. Now he got me thinking, Hmm, where am I going to go? Unless Traeger wants to sponsor this podcast, that would be interesting if somebody from Traeger heard this right now. I mean, if they don't, they're making a mistake. I think Smoked so. Smoked meats are the lifeblood of... Guitar time. I mean, I have... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have some barbecue sauce in my <laughs> I'm, I know that I do. I know I do. <laughs> I do. I know we're, we're, getting, we're getting to the end here, but I do want to shout out uh, Dustin. Uh, he picked me up to take me to the airport after I did the JHS show uh, last, mm. was it 2021, I believe. And he brought me Q39 barbecue as well as took me to the airport. Oh. So shout out Dustin. You are the man. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah. That was some good barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Arguably the best in Kansas city, in my opinion. 
I had um I had two places. Oh, what's the classic place there? Uh, my brain's failing. Um, the most famous place. I mean, there's in, a lot. What's the most famous place in Gates? Well, you got Gates. You've got wasn't Gates Oklahoma was, Jones, which became KC Joe's. That's it, KC Joe's. Uh, Arthur. That's yeah, what I had. Arthur Bryant's is like the classic, legit, you know, old school. Okay, KC Joe's I had, and I loved it. I did, but Q39 was, it was better, I think. I don't know if that's contentious or not, but I really loved you it. You have frozen completely. Oh, did I freeze? Oh, there you're back. Oh, <laughs> I, uh, well, the listeners will have heard what I said, but since you didn't, I said I, I, I did like KC Joe's quite a bit, but Q39 mm-hmm. was, was better. <laughs> it just was. I mean, I like I like all of them. I, I'll go eat barbecue at almost any place in Kansas City, and it, I, I love them. But Q39 is, whew, yeah, special that's next level. Well, if you ever find mm-hmm. yourself in Portland, you may be surprised, but we do have a few legit spots that I can take you to of various styles. I think you'll be you'll love be it. very satisfied. So come on, come on over. I love it, and I love Portland. So when, I'm on my way. Next time you're here, hit me up. We'll eat. <laughs> right on cool. i do like to eat it's my favorite pastime mm. well thank you so much for coming on i think we'll go ahead and wrap this up and uh we'll slide over to patreon and get a little bit weird with it what do you say love it all right sounds good all right everybody for david this is blake and as always folks good luck and good tones All right, folks, there you are. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I know I say that every time. And I know that's basically impossible. But that said, I still hope you enjoyed it very, very much. And I hope you enjoyed it enough to share it with a friend. I hope you enjoyed that enough to share it with a family member, somebody who is into this stuff. And I know I beg for that basically every episode because, well... It's the lifeblood of the podcast. We don't have algorithms in the same way that YouTube videos do or Instagram posts do. And I know the algorithm is kind of a pain. Trust me, I'm very aware of that. But the only way that podcasts survive is by you sharing. And that doesn't just go for this show. It goes for literally any podcast that you like, any audio podcast you like. If you're not telling people about it, it's impossible for the show to sustain itself. I know, I know it seems weird, but that's the truth of it. The podcasts require the audience support, and I thank you so much for everyone that is doing just that. I really, really mean it. It is it is enormous, so thank you so much if you were able to do that. And if you want to hear more of this content, you can go over to patreon.com slash tonemob, and you can get like I said, I don't even know how many hours of extra content. You can go there, check it out, help support, and I really appreciate it. And if you can't do that, I totally get it. But just share this with a friend. That's the number one thing you can do to keep this thing ticking. And I appreciate you so much. I appreciate everybody that's done that. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you on the internet very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, 
go to tonemob.com slash stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.